The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So we're going to start here by bringing in Stefan No of the Athletic Chicago. And he, to me, is really what the Athletic has been all about. Chicago is one of the first sites. And he was writing, I'm sure, pretty much for free at, at Bloggable. And I loved his work back then. He was one of the guys on, on that site that I thought really understood film work. He's one of the first guys in the Chicago market who was doing a lot of that. And when the Athletic started, they identified it, his talent. He wasn't a guy who had gone to journalism school or had a big pedigree he was just doing quality work and that's what the athletic is about they're about identifying people who are doing quality work and giving their subscribers extra value he was doing stuff that nobody at that time was doing i felt for the bulls coverage and so they brought him in if it were a newspaper they would never hire someone like him right they would hire some beat writer from somewhere else who might not have been as good as him and that's really what i love about the athletic what they've done both in finding the best people in markets to work with them who are established and then also empowering their editors to hire people who are doing great work in the analysis space who might not have gotten a chance for traditional media. So I think you'll really enjoy Stefan's segment here. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, we have an alliance with them now. Go through theathletic.com slash capspace and that can get you 40% off your first year of subscription to be a part of the future of sports journalism. Once again, theathletic.com slash capspace. We're just starting this alliance with them and hopefully it will continue if you go to the athletic.com slash cap space and sign up today let's talk a little chicago bulls now with stefan no of the athletic did, did i miss anything else uh, by the way that you're up to these days where else can we check your work these uh for this uh, interesting bull season yeah just the athletic uh we just released the national page too so you can always find my stuff if you just follow that twitter account so yeah go ahead and do that because we have such a great team of writers there uh, you guys should check all that work out awesome yeah we're uh actually the athletic is now sponsoring our show as well so uh the athletic.com slash cap space is uh, a great way to sign up so i'm get 40 percent off uh but let's talk about this bull season and i really have had a lot of trouble trying to find a baseline for this season right like, usually the way i'll go through to try and think of how good they're going to be is all right how good were they last year and then what changes were made but really there's because of like they won more than half after games with Miritich in the lineup and he wasn't there at the end Levine was coming off an injury he was hopefully at least for the Bulls a shell of himself uh you know Chris Dunn was in and out of the lineup in the in the second half of the year you know, Wendell Carter is probably going to be a big part of what they're doing this season Lowry Markinen was a rookie so uh, like what have you been doing you've been thinking about this Bulls season as a way to kind of come up with a baseline for how good they were last year so we can figure out how good they're going to be this year yeah I don't blame you for not really having a great grasp of what the Bulls are going to do 
this upcoming season because last year for them was so disjointed. And you went into a little bit, but I think it was really divided into three very distinct parts. So they started the season out 3-20, and by far the worst team in the league, and that was all by design. The Bulls wanted a top three pick going into that year. Looked like they were going to get the number one pick possibly. And then Nikola Mirotic comes back at the start of December. They go on a crazy seven-game win streak. I'm pretty sure that's never happened in NBA history where a team has started out that poorly and then won seven straight games just kind of out of the blue go 14 and 11 in that stretch with Miritich and now uh, the Bulls are kind of sweating like their record is getting too good for this tank so they benched Miritich uh, they went into this stage of the season which I call their shameless tanking phase where they traded him uh, to the Pelicans they benched Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday, started playing them again uh, alternating them in games after they got a warning from the league and they finished uh, 9 and 23 in that final stretch so there's no real coherent string to the way the Bulls season played out which kind of makes this upcoming season uh pretty interesting yeah I agree with you I mean so let's just talk about who who is left over from last year do you think is going to be in the rotation this year Dunn seems in Scott's as the starting point guard campaign uh as the two they got rid of uh, Grant in, in a pure salary dump so that they could make that Parker signing Levine will be back. Justin Holiday, although he and Lopez didn't really play during that stretch at the end. And then Markinen and Robin Lopez, although he's got Carter behind him as well. Uh, you know, I still like it, it's really and there wasn't really a time when even all of the holdovers were all on the court together at the same time as them trying to make their best unit because of that nine and 23 stretch at the end you mentioned. Yeah, I'm not really sure how the Bulls rotation is going to play out. I mean, yeah, you mentioned Chris Dunn. He's pretty much the and I guess Markinen too you know they're building around Markinen those two guys are obviously uh, going to be the cornerstones uh, Levine too uh, but Dunn you really don't have anything behind him in the event that he gets hurt uh, Cameron Payne played better last season but he only played in 25 games and you never really know if uh, how he's going to hold up over the course of a full season just so many spots on this roster totally up for grabs uh, small forward they don't really have anything they said they're going to start Jabari Parker there not really his best position who knows how long that's going to last so a lot of unknowns here yeah I mean you know and, and campaign was I think better than we thought maybe he could be and you never know some of his struggles in summer league his struggles initially when coming to Chicago as the uh, crown jewel of that trade with Taj Gibson Doug McDermott and that second rounder to OKC the year before I mean he was better than expected but still you know negative 11 net rating when he was, was on the floor and you know you're just comparing to how he was playing with an injured foot so you know they really seem to believe in it i mean is there a reason to believe i mean not that we need to start with him but i, I guess that's how it <laughs> played out is, is there a reason to believe he can give competent backup point guard play or are the cynics like me and i think as i recall you about his play do we really you know is there no hope for him to be a, a solid player next year well i think a lot of bulls fans are traumatized by his first season with the team he was so bad right. and uh he actually did play okay last year i mean i know probably nobody was watching these deep cuts of bulls games uh especially when he was playing during that tanking period and it is kind of hard to analyze how much we should buy into his stats because he was playing a lot of garbage time he was playing in games that weren't very competitive so uh, i don't really love Payne as an nba player he seems to lack that just baseline level of athleticism that you need and he shot the three really well this uh this past season 
and he finished at the rim really well. But those are things that he could not do in any capacity in his previous uh, years. So how much to take into that? I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't really uh, be very high on Payne stock right now. Yeah, I, I think that that makes sense. But clearly the team believed that, you know, you know and I guess the, the Jerry and Grant, who is the crown jewel in theory of a previous trade, you know, was sent packing to the Magic this year. So it seems like they'd given up on him. And yeah, Payne, 64% at the rim last year and 39% for three. You're like, oh man, he must have been pretty efficient. Still below 500 true shooting uh, because he <laughs> right. just had to take a, a ton of long twos. He was 42% from two-point range and then also never, ever gets to the foul line. Only a 7% free throw rate. And assist rate is you know kind of about average for a backup point guard. Seven assists for 36 minutes is, is okay, but not amazing. So, and then how did he look on defense to you? He has pretty good hands. He has decent anticipation so uh he got you know his i think his steal numbers were okay but he's so slight that if he ever found himself on a mismatch i mean guys would just take him into the post and he would completely give up um get blown by somewhat frequently on the perimeter so i don't really believe in him as a defender he's a guy where if you're just watching kind of casually he looks okay but if you're really following him um i i definitely would not rate him as uh, an average defender yeah and with the bulls in theory looking at switching more this season not someone that i would look at i mean he was you know when he was drafted he was like you know a buck 70 soaking wet as it seemed like um what about chris dunn I, I, where is he as a player because i i, I, I want to spend a lot of our time here just kind of talking about where these guys are because there's you know dunn again was better than expected last year he's ensconced now as the starting point guard but this is going to be uh, age 24 25 season for him 24 season for him um you know he was pretty old obviously when he's drafted this will be his third year in the league and so i mean i think that's the biggest thing is just take stock of these young players and you know not only for this year but for the overall rebuild so what did chris dunn do last year in his uh 1500 minutes uh 52 games on the year i was not very high on dunn after that jimmy butler trade and i think he kind of proved me wrong he had a much better second season than i thought he would after a really disastrous rookie year with tibbs and minnesota uh still there are definite holes in his game i will say on the defensive side of the ball he's already really good i think he is the best perimeter defender on the team and he has a all nba defense potential on that end but on the offensive end his shot is really shaky he's a very very streaky three-point shooter shot selection is questionable too he's always uh talking about how how great of a mid-range shooter it is and it's like uh that's that's not something that like those aren't the types of shots that teams are trying to take away from you these days so if he wants to shoot you know like did hit 46 percent from beyond 16 feet last year but you know that's a number that fluctuates maybe even more than three-point percentage does from year to year right so i mean i do think that he was okay on those mid-rangers but certainly not shouldn't be like the number one option on an offensive set uh and then the rest of his offensive game he was very timid driving in minnesota i was glad to see that he kind of overcame that in chicago he was willing to attack the basket but then when he got there finishing at the rim was not very good not great at getting to the line for free throws so uh there's just all these uh issues that he has on the offensive side of the ball where he's definitely trending in the right direction getting better but still nowhere near an efficient offensive player i did see more athleticism from him last year than he showed that first year in minnesota when i I think the mandate really was don't screw up you know, when he was playing as the backup point guard. But and the hope is now with Levine healthy, with Parker Markin and maybe taking another step forward, Wendell Carter. Uh, 
giving them a little bit more usage at center perhaps that you know that 25 percent usage can come down and maybe the true shooting percentage which you know was pretty low i mean 25 percent usage 49 percent true shooting that's uh that's not good 17 percent turnover rate that's not good never gets to the foul line uh despite his supposed athleticism so you think all right he's he can get the usage down maybe you can get more efficient that way they're going to put the ball in the hands of some of these other guys but my concern is i'm not sure that he has the skill set to really get more efficient as his usage decreases you know he's a guy who really has worked the best to the extent he has worked well with the ball in his hand right and the problem is uh if you play him more off ball he's not really a threat to shoot from outside he he did improve his three-point percentage to 32 percent but teams really weren't respecting him from out there so you're adding another player in the middle yeah. of the court and the he Bulls. takes his shot takes a long time to get off too it doesn't yeah, it have does. a lot of versatility to that jumper and it's i mean it's incredibly inconsistent like he'll go through stretches where he's actually shooting the ball pretty well and then he'll go through stretches where he's just airballing a ton of shots hitting the top of the backboard so uh hopefully he can get some more confidence i know hoiberg has worked extensively on him with that shot but it's not at the point right now where i would really think that they're utilizing him well by playing him off the ball so want to introduce a new sponsor here ancestry i actually did their test just before i left for the honeymoon and sent it in i'm really eagerly awaiting the results because uh they've got the world's largest online family history database they've access to 20 billion records and 100 million family trees and the test is really easy basically you just spit into a bottle screw the cap on that mixes this solution with it that preserves your dna and send it in and then you'll get an interactive and informative experience that connects you with your genealogy and heritage to help you make new family connections and more than 10 million people have already discovered something about themselves using the ancestry dna test i always would describe myself when people ask my ethnicity as a, a european mutt and especially on my mom's side I mean, we all i know is that we emigrated from russia and romania in the late 1800s early 1900s we actually don't exactly know when my great-grandmother was born because she came to ellis island i think in the first couple of years or so of her life when they uh, emigrated to new york so the way to get started is go to ancestry.com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space we talk about all the time in the program and enter code cap space they are they are both the url and the code and you can get 20 percent off your ancestry dna kit that's ancestry.com slash cap space promo code cap space today for 20 percent off your ancestry dna kit once more ancestry.com slash cap space enter that cap space code let them know you came from us how about marketing he gained 14 pounds of muscle uh, he said maybe that'll come down a little bit as he kind of trims up to, to get into camp uh but he's had a decent summer in europe i mean he really is probably the highest upside player on this team would you say that at this oh point? maybe would, it's jabari but but uh, you could throw wendell carter prospect. in there too um yeah but yeah he's definitely up there marketing is definitely up there do you and it's not going to happen this year but just a more generally do you think he has the upside to become an all-star and if he does where where does the evolution in his game come to get him to that point i do think that he can become an all-star i think that where you will see improvement from him is his teammates they really struggled to get him the ball last season the the guard play for the bulls was so weak that he would oftentimes get these mismatches and he was very good in those mismatches if you look at his synergy numbers but they just couldn't throw basic post entry passes they couldn't throw passes over the top to get him the ball and he only took uh 12.7 shots 
shots per game last season. I think that number ha- definitely has to come up, uh, especially. It, will it go up though? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the fear, right? That's the big with question. With Levine and for, Parker in yeah, the fold, yeah, and, and done for that matter. Yeah, yeah. I I am kind of worried that it will not co- go up, and in fact, it'll go down with uh, so many guys trying to get their shots. But hopefully, I mean, as I said before, Markinen is really the crown jewel for the Bulls here. So getting him shots, getting him the ball where he has these mismatches that is utmost importance and i think you can see you will see like a pretty decent jump in his scoring average if they can just look for him more often yeah i mean i think the one thing that we were really happy with those of us who liked him coming out of arizona was his ability to shoot in pick and pop i mean i think that's that's really you know always going to be the foundation of his game that really quick release you got to close out on him at the three-point line he can shoot over smaller players as well off of closeouts which is kind of an underrated aspect of having a, a big man shooter is that if smaller guys are running at them you know they can still shoot over the top of them from the three-point line um but as you mentioned i mean getting the ball in the post i do like his aggressiveness uh when he does get the ball right underneath the rim uh but it was tough for them to get him the ball there and then where i didn't think he was very effective is when he wasn't able to get like great post position against a mismatch when it was more out on the floor 17 feet i didn't think he was able to do quite as well there he also isn't great in traditional post-ups against bigger guys maybe that 14 pounds of muscle will pay off there but you know in the modern nba i don't really think it's that important that he's not able to back down a guy like Joel Embiid I mean his value really is in uh, staying out on the perimeter anyway and just going there when when they do try to switch someone smaller onto him yeah and he's showed the ability to put the ball on the floor he still likes to go left a, a lot of the time but it, he also is more athletic than I think a lot of people realize 63 dunks last year I'm going back and looking at Dirk Nowitzki's career the, the guy to whom he's so often compared I think Dirk has a little bit more fluidity off the dribble and obviously you know marketing his jumper is good but Dirk's is just you know he's the best shooting seven footer ever so it's a little rough to say that marketing has got to do that but the most dunks Dirk Nowitzki ever had in his career was 48 and he played you know he was playing 3,000 minutes a year uh you know a lot more than marketing was playing so he is a, a different type of player in terms of his ability to finish a, around the rim you know shot 67 percent around the rim it, that was encouraging as well but yeah I mean I think he is a player who really needs to be used correctly and will we see that that's tough to say I mean I, I do think and I think he's also going to face a lot of switches especially if Jabari Parker is the three if they try to run any kind of actions between those two guys teams are going to just switch it and say all right one of you two guys beat us one-on-one um but you know he's going to start this year at the four it's just tough when Parker his best position is probably also the four and maybe we should turn to him now what are just how is the organization I know they, they're saying all right he's going to start at the three but do you have any, any further indications on how Parker is going to be used this season uh, I haven't heard anything aside from that initial report. I think Casey Johnson had that they're planning on starting him there. Um, yeah, there's a, the Bulls have a big logjam at that four position. We haven't even talked about Bobby Portis yet, who had a pretty good yeah. year. So they're going to have to figure out um, what to do there. I think that... Uh, Parker will play a little bit more for with the bench units. So hopefully that'll alleviate some of those problems. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think Parker can hold up at the three defensively? So you've definitely watched more of Parker than I have. I've been watching a lot of his clips uh, over the summer to try to catch up here, watch some of his playoff series. And to me, like he doesn't seem to have great lateral quickness. I know that the Bucks they started switching a lot more on defense after uh, game two to try to get back into that series with the Celtics. And 
when I saw him on faster wings, like sometimes he gets switched on a Rozier, sometimes he gets switched on a Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum, and he couldn't really stick with those guys. He had to either foul or they would just go right by him. So when he's up against faster wings, I just don't really see him being able to compete there. But I'm interested to hear your opinions there. Yeah, I would agree with you for all but maybe about, you know, one half of his career, which is it's crazy to think about that we could be relying on that. But defense is something which is a little bit more reliant on effort and physical ability. And so if we're talking about oh he hasn't been able to shoot except for that one half it's like okay you can just get hot you know is there such a thing as getting hot defensively you know he was making plays stopping guys like Marcus Morris Tatum Jalen Brown uh and I think it was, I can't remember if it was game three or game four the second half I want to say game three but he actually was moving his feet and getting into a stance and playing with the requisite intensity he's a terrible rebounder but that I don't think that's going to matter as much on this Bulls team where you've got Lopez who really helps out uh, on the boards with, with his boxing out I think you know Mark and is a fine defensive rebounder uh Dunn is can rebound from the point guard position I don't think that's going to be as much of an issue uh as it was in Milwaukee even if he doesn't rebound much more um so I think it's slightly possible that he could be okay uh, but you know more likely is that he's going to be pretty atrocious and then that brings you also to Zach Levine another uh, member of this core and my opinion is that the fit between Levine and Parker will not be a smooth one uh what do you make of that do you think there's a chance this can work I mean, defensively, if you had to handpick like the two worst players at small forward and shooting guard, they they might be on your list, right? But on the but other side, what of the is ball, it about Levine's defense? Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but what is it about his defense that's so bad? We know that the numbers have been atrocious in terms of the on-off stats, basically for his entire career. So, but like, how is it that he really fails? If you're watching a Bulls game this year, like, what do you look for to see? Okay, this is how. This is what he's failing to do that manifests in in those terrible numbers. Well, if you watch him guard one on one, he's surprisingly like pretty decent, uh, just on ball. But everything off the ball, he is terrible at his instincts. I don't know if I've ever seen a player on the perimeter with such poor instincts. Like when he has to run through screens, he will just take the most bizarre routes to get through. So by the time his man catches the ball, it's just totally wide open. He he gave up so many wide open threes, and then his effort off the ball is just terrible. He he loses track of cutters all the time. Uh, he had a little Dwayne Wade in him this season where if he didn't get the call on one end, he would not get back in transition defense and he would just allow layups on that end. So, I mean, I, I think that it's really hard to fix those types of issues where guys just don't have a clue mentally. So I'm not really high on him improving his defense. I'm sure having better effort on that end would help solve some of those problems, but I don't foresee any way in the future where he becomes a uh, average. Yeah, that, that's pretty tough. I mean, I think this Bulls coaching staff actually with Fred Hoiberg has done a solid job given the talent they've had at their disposal defensively to actually be as decent as they have been at times obviously they did not finish last season well and I mean the stats last year were awful I think the 27 wins really hid a lot of how bad this team was and especially during that 3 and 20 start when they were just getting absolutely blown out uh so you know I mean they really I think had the point differential right around where we were predicting they would be around I think it was 22 wins last year 
year. They're one of the luckier teams in the NBA or unluckier if you're a, a big fan of this Bulls tank. And how did Levine look offensively last season? And you know, what is the hope that he can be better this year? Because the stats weren't amazing there either. He definitely did not have a good year on either side of the ball. Uh, but I think he was trying to force some of his offense. The Bulls limited his minutes pretty severely. They kept him out of back-to-backs. And then even in the games he did play, he knew he was only going to be out there for sh- short spurts. So I think he was definitely hunting his shot. Um, as far as the good things, that athleticism, at least straight line, he did look like he had some of it back. He had some really vicious dunks throughout the year. And then his pull-up three-point shooting, that's a big part of his uh, game as well. You know, he would take some really, really tough shots. So his percentage was not great there, but he was making uh, definitely more difficult shots than most people in the league can. So you hope that he becomes a little bit less selfish this year now that he has signed this big contract and he just takes some better shots and also you know another year removed from this ACL injury maybe he can uh, go back to the promise that he showed uh, in Minnesota yeah, and there were amidst how ugly it was for him last year there were actually a few promising signs got to the foul line at a career high rate took a career high number of field goal attempts at the rim which I think was, was something that you know they didn't have a ton of spacing on those Minnesota teams he played on and with Markinen out there Carter maybe being a stretch candidate as well Portis a, a good shooter I think that there are more options now he finished very poorly at the rim only 55 percent now is that going to come back a little bit more removed from the ACL he was also struggling with some knee tendonitis who knows how real that was because they're trying to shut things down to tank and then the three-point shooting only 34 percent but you know not a ton of attempts he only played 24 games he was at 39 percent the last two years and he's really the only guy on this team that can pull up for a three off the dribble with the ball in their hands that's a, a critical element in today's nba he signed that contract with the kings bulls ended up matching four years 78 million what do you think the chances are he ends up being worth that over the course of the contract i would say it's a uh, pretty low but uh you know it's not my money so I would have preferred they yeah. just let him uh, walk and let the Kings handle that. But ultimately, they decided. I think they said later on that like part of it was optics, but they do believe in him quite a bit. Yeah, and certainly they had some sunk costs with him being one of the returns in the Butler trade. I'm actually, I agree with you in terms of you know, just guys who have had this level of effectiveness in terms of the on-off, their efficiency, don't tend to really be that amazing and be worth, you know, above average starter level which is what he's going to be paid as over the next four years but i understand the bulls matching probably more than most i agree i would not have done so but i do think that this guy could be like a really big efficient scorer who causes a lot of problems for teams i mean his ability to get his jump shot off if that goes in with that great rise that he has his ability to shoot off the dribble from deep and hopefully continue to evolve his game get into the room although i don't think he has the greatest feel for finishing despite his athleticism him. and he's also has cut his turnover rate quite a bit as well over the years and so i think it's possible that he can get there to be you know a top two scorer on a team and then he would be worth that contract even with his defensive deficiencies but you know i mean he really he's gonna have to get into the high 50s in true shooting percentage pretty high usage uh to make up for some of the other things that he does not bring and you know that's that's possible i think with his skill set if he hadn't torn his acl i might feel better about it but it's uh for this year 
though, I think certainly the odds are that he is going to be a negative overall influence. Yeah, and I'll say too that he certainly is not as bad as he was last year. I think that uh, he's a candidate to improve quite a bit. You mentioned his shooting. That's something that I definitely believe in. Uh, only hit 34% of his threes last year, but I, I think he can um, pretty easily get into the 37, 38, maybe even like be a 40% three-point shooter. So that's going to help his value quite a bit. All right, let's uh, play a little game here and try and figure out who's going to play the most in this 2-3 rotation. I mean, I think Dunn, you know, pencil him for 30 minutes in a game, Payne for 18. I mean, I don't really see anyone else playing at the one. Would you agree with that? You think they would ever try Levine at point guard or, or is it just going to be those two guys? Yeah, they signed Ryan Archidiakono to, uh, I think it was a non-guaranteed deal. I don't really envision him getting very minutes, very, very many minutes though. I think when those two guys are out, when Dunn and Payne are out, they're just going to go with multiple ball handlers. Uh, Chandler Hutchison can handle a little bit and they might have uh, Levine handle a little bit, but no one guy designated in that role. So they also brought in Antonio Blakeney, who was on a, a two-way last year. They've got Antonius Cleveland, whom they claimed off waivers from the Hawks. You know, not sure whether he's going to stick or not. Uh, I, I think they're actually going to miss David Nwaba a lot. I don't really understand why they moved on from him and instead brought back Cleveland. You know, they could have just gotten him at a restricted free agent qualifying offer at $1.7 million, but that's water under the bridge now. So let me give you these names on the wing, and you tell me, put them in order. This is going to be scary, Nate. Denzel Valentine, Chandler Hutchison, number 22 overall pick uh, out of Boise State, Justin Holiday, Antonio Blakeney. Who's going to play the most of those guys at the backup two and three? I think to start the season, it'll be Valentine. And maybe in the middle of the season, if Hutchison plays well, I think Hutchison is going to get a really good chance here to show what he has. If he makes the most of that opportunity, I think he might supplant Valentine uh, by the the middle of the year. I I don't think the Bulls have quite given up on Valentine yet. You mentioned that Levine has this uh, elite skill in pull-up shooting. Actually, Valentine is very good at it, too. He shot over 40% on his pull-up threes last year. So that's one skill that he definitely has. 39% overall from three. Yeah, and then Hutchison, you know, he didn't really have a great summer league, but the Bulls drafted him with the intention. I mean, he's an older player that could step in and help uh, pretty soon here. So he fits all the stuff that the Bulls are looking for with positional versatility, good transition player, can handle the ball a little bit. So I, I could definitely envision uh, both those guys having decent rotation roles. Yeah. Where's Valentine defensively? Uh, real quickly here. I mean, my estimation has that been that he's been pretty bad. I mean, he came out of college with a reputation, at least as a heady defender uh but you know i haven't really seen him be at nba level personally on the defense but i don't know if you watched these um like summer run highlight clips but valentine's been all over them for uh being so bad Uh, he, that kind of mimics his NBA play. I mean, I think that he competes, but he just doesn't have... It's the same thing with uh, what I was saying with Cameron Payne. They, they both just don't have that baseline athleticism that you need to be effective as a defender. So I think he's always going to struggle in that regard. Yeah, I actually don't mind Valentine too much as a complimentary offensive player. He's got some passing ability. You know, you mentioned the 39% three-point shooting. I'm a believer in his three-point shooting. And, and he actually shoots it pretty well for most areas. He just The problem is he never gets the rim. And he absolutely never gets to the fouling. Took only 51 free throws all year, despite being second on the team in minutes. This is going to be his age 25 season. He played 2,100 minutes for this team, uh, 77 games. So yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to think of him as someone who's going to be a part of this team's future. And he's a solid spot-up shooter, but he's not really, you know, he's very switchable. So that pick-and-roll acumen shooting the ball off the dribble isn't as useful. He's not really going to come off of screens and vomit either. You know, if you could add that to his game, I think 
maybe that could help him a lot. And then Holiday, I mean, it's still quite possible to me that Justin Holiday is the best shooting guard on this team in terms of actually helping the Bulls win games this year. But it seems like just the, the tenor of things that he is somewhat out of favor and maybe could be a trade or a buyout candidate eventually. I think he might be a trade candidate. Yeah, and he played okay last season. His numbers, efficiency numbers don't look great, but that was largely a part of the role that he was asked to play. It was basically like a retirement Kobe where he was just bailing the Bulls out of uh, all these short clock situations, which clearly uh, like he's not capable of doing. During the first stretch of the season, it was atrocious. I mean, that was like, that was all they had on some of these possessions is like him coming off a screen for a long two. It was just atrocious. Yeah, so I don't really fault him for that. And he's on an expiring deal this season. I think it's only for like four and a half million or something like that. So I definitely do think that yeah. he is a trade candidate, although the Bulls did try to move him last year and couldn't really seem to get anything. So hopefully he uh, he finds a good landing spot. So we did pre-record this episode. So I can assure you that right now, despite the fact that we, as much as our means would allow, went all out for this honeymoon, we're hoping it's going to be a once in a lifetime trip. But I'd be very, very surprised, no matter how nice a hotel we stay at, if the mattress is going to be as good as my Helix Sleep mattress, because my Helix Sleep mattress is actually built for me and my wife. And it's so weird saying wife, by the way, but I, I guess I got the rest of my life to get used to it, right? And I hope I'll be sleeping on Helix Sleep mattresses for the rest of my life as well. And we started off, she actually, in the first months of our relationships, found Helix after we tried another one-size-fits-all mattress delivery company, and it didn't work at all. So we went to helixsleep.com, took their two-minute sleep quiz, and they found the perfect mattress for us. We even got a second one now for our guest bedroom. And if you are a couple that doesn't agree as much as uh, we do, at least on sleep preferences, they can even split the mattress down the middle for you. And they have a 10-year warranty. So like I said, I'm uh, planning on keeping this thing for a long time. You also get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. And right now, they have improved their deal in recent months. They're offering up to $125 off of all mattress orders. If you're a side sleeper, hot sleeper, plush or firm bed with Helix, there's no guessing or confusion. Get up to $125 off at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy remember slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace for 125 dollars off your mattress order helixsleep.com slash capspace yeah and i would think it's more likely that he gets bought out because it doesn't really seem to me the bulls are not going to be taking on any money past the summer of 2019 2019 plan uh <laughs> and to uh bring back an old trope from a uh, bloggable going back to I mean, when was the first year that there was like a blank year plan maybe 2014 the 2014 oh, it was plan. way before the 20, that. No, probably the 2010 plan it was, uh, the 2010 it was tracy plan. mcgrady that was like the 2003 plan right <laughs> No, that well, that was 19, 1999, actually, was when the Bulls were trying to get him uh, before he, he signed with the Magic. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's yeah, been many iterations of, of the same plan. Having having Benny the Bull meet him at the airport. And then, uh, yeah, I guess there was the 2006 plan that, that brought in Ben Wallace. I mean, the Bulls actually, like, when they have these plans, they actually sign players. I mean, yeah, they haven't gotten the absolute best superstars, but, like, they've actually been able to sign players. Doug Tonus was making this point on his show the other day uh, that, you know, in, I mean, in 2010, and they got Carlos Boozer. He's one of the better free agents on the market. And you know, they got Pau Gasol and they were able to bring Miritich over in 2014. And, you know, Dwayne Wade wasn't like nobody in 2016, even though I thought that was a, an ill-conceived signing. So, I mean, you have to imagine they'll get someone unless they're just atrocious this year, which, you know, they could be. Um, you know, they lost uh, one so, of their, yeah. their main targets, though. Manu Ginobili retired. So there's, <laughs> there's uh, one washed up guy out the, <laughs> the window for them. 
Oh man, Manu would actually help this team a lot. Uh, so uh, let's go to the front court now. Uh, we've mentioned some of these guys, but Lopez, Wendell Carter, Markinen, Portis. How much of a role is there going to be for Portis? I mean, with the way Carter looked in summer league, you imagine he's going to want to step in right away. But he's really more of a five. So is Lopez. So they'll need someone to play backup for. That could be Parker as well. I mean, do you think? So I think it's really going to kind of be Parker and Portis almost competing for those backup four minutes. Yeah, if I were Bobby Portis, I would not be very happy with how the Bulls offseason uh, occurred. He had a pretty good year last year from an offensive standpoint, showed that he can yeah, shoot the three at least. <laughs> right, yeah. He, he can shoot above the break threes. He can post up against smaller guys at least. And uh, I I don't know where the minutes are going to come from, as you mentioned. I, I think that Parker is going to end up taking a lot of those uh, bench four minutes. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the Bulls fit him in. I wonder if they're going to try to play him a little bit at small forward too, which I don't really think oh, is going to work very well. No, they're not going to do that. That would, that would be insane. They're like, the, he's just, he can't even guard fours off the dribble uh i mean he's another guy do you agree with me he's like a pretty atrocious defender oh yeah he i mean he tries but he he's another guy that just has no clue he just has such poor defensive instincts what what the coaching staff has said is like they didn't teach him anything at arkansas so they're kind of working from scratch there and um i mean yeah i I don't really foresee a great path either for him to be a great defender when doesn't really have very much rim protection uh and is is just working from such a deficit there he's just slow too i mean like in terms of getting into a stance and moving his feet i think he's just not really able to cover much ground i mean and he had a really interesting year statistically last year 19.7 pr true shooting right about the levy average which for a team that was this offensively challenged was useful 26 percent usage i mean he throughout his career he has just shot the ball as soon as it leaves his hands but <laughs> he's actually able able to make or, or as soon as it touches his hands he's, he was making shots though and i think he's also able to have a double digit offensive rebound rate when he takes as many threes as he does you know that's actually pretty useful also so i mean i i think i don't think he can ever be a starter in the league because of his defensive limitations but i think he's someone who can come in you know and sort of play a role similar to like the way a mike scott did last year for the wizards you know maybe not close some games and i'd say he's probably actually more limited defensively even than mike scott is but as someone who can just come in you got to guard him will get some shots up and can create some league average offense for you on the second unit he's valuable but you know i'm thinking of him as more of kind of a, a career back up just due to his athletic limitations yeah he's a good energy guy too he's great in transition runs the court hard so i think he does have value i think i might be a little bit higher on him than you maybe like fringe starter but i don't really see him uh becoming a star or anything like that yeah what makes you higher on him than me you think so you're kind of putting me on the spot here having to defend Portis. I, I might need to clarify a little bit there. I just think I might be a little <laughs> bit higher than you, but I still do see his flaws, as you mentioned. But just a guy that can shoot the three pretty well, uh, run hard in transition. He's a decent rebounder, can exploit mismatches. I mean, that ticks a lot of these boxes, at least on the offensive end, that uh, teams are looking for in modern bigs. So I guess that's why I see him as a pretty decent role player. Yeah, I mean, I guess he could be a, a quality offensive option in time. I, I will give you that. So we've hit on a few of them here but anything you can look at and this is actually it's kind of hard uh anything you look at as like a big strength of this team well the big one is transition offense i think that fred hoiberg has been trying to institute this uh successful system that he ran at iowa state where you know it was like kind of pace and space before it was in vogue in the nba and he was not able to do that in his first couple years with the bulls mostly because of personnel they've slowly gotten a little bit of an uptick in that area 
still like right around, I think they're a little bit worse than league average last year. So they got Chandler Hutchison. Jabari Parker is a very good transition player. Obviously, Levine, that's kind of what you would like to see him do. And uh, Larry Markinen, he can run in the break too. So I think they're going to try to run as much as possible because really the only way for this team to be successful is to somehow find a way to get like a top 10 offense going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that does seem difficult to imagine when they were, you know, I think 28th a year ago. One I could point to, I think they'll be better at just creating shots. You know, Levine, Parker, uh, Markinen hopefully will be improved in that area. Uh, Carter has some ability to to get into the post, maybe against mismatches done. You know, I mean, at least he can get off that 18-footer out of pick and roll a, a lot of the time. So I think they'll. it's not going to be at least the way it was the first half of last year when it was Justin Holiday come off a screen and jack up along too. So that's, uh, I think it's, um, it should be a lot better there. You know, are those shots going to be that efficient? Maybe not, but I think they're at least like, will be able to, if the clock runs down, find someone who can create some kind of a look. Yeah. I mean that they might even have like too much shot creation at this point. And Hoiberg really yeah. emphasizes early <laughs> offense. He wants guys to pass the ball around. He has this 0.5 second rule that I think he got from the Spurs where he wants guys to either pass, dribble or shoot within half a second of catching the ball. So, you know, you have all these guys that like the ball in their hands that like to take tough shots. Uh, they're actually, I think they're gonna have to like go against that instinct and really try to zip the ball around. Yeah, I think staggering Levine and Parker to the extent that that's possible, you know, and we talked about the issues that those two provide on the defensive end as well. Um, another strength for them last year was uh, the defensive glass, 81% of defensive rebounds. A lot of that is Robin Lopez, but playing a, a seven footer in Markinen, who's a solid on the defensive glass. I think you know, he's had struggles in that area early in his career, but I think as he's gotten stronger, you know, he could be okay there. Carter, Lopez, always a great box out guy. So I think they could still be pretty good on the defensive glass. Don't anticipate they're going to do a ton on the offensive glass necessarily. Um, and, and you mentioned the transition. Anything else that pops out to you as something that these guys can be really good at? Uh, those were the three areas that I had to transition offense, shot creation, and as you said, defensive rebounding. I think their rebounding is uh, they they use a lot of gang rebounding where they bring their guards to help, and that really helps a lot. So I think that should continue. Yeah, Dunn is a decent defensive rebounder as well. And I think I've always loved, I always wished Parker got more defensive rebounds because I think he's actually awesome as a grab-and-go guy when he's really attacking in transition. Although, you know, one of the two times he tore his ACL was, was in transition, so maybe you don't want that as much. But he is, uh, or he, he has some thoughts about that still but i mean when he really gets it going downhill he can be a a pretty big problem uh all right so uh should we spend uh the next 30 minutes on their weaknesses <laughs> yeah there's quite a few uh, do you want me to just jump into one here yeah yeah let's do it okay so i mean obviously the defense is a major concern we talked about this combination of levine and parker uh on the wing i just don't see any way that that possibly holds up i mean their best perimeter defender well they had dunn who was pretty good and then Nwaba was the guy who they used against all these elite wings in the league. They they have yeah. pretty much nothing there. I mean, even Paul Zipser, who's not very good, he was the backup guy behind um, behind Nwaba, and it looks like he is not going to return to the team. So it's going to be really scary when they face one of these elite players on the wing. Yeah, Hutchison in theory could devolve into that player, you know. But to say that he's going to be a lockdown artist on the wing right away, although I I will be watching his defense very closely. He it, you know, was drafted number 22. He was the fruit of not only trading Nikola Miritich, but also taking 
on Omer Ashik, who remains on this team, and they're not going to stretch him or anything because of what they want to do in free agency next year. And uh, that fulfills our uh, obligation to discuss Ashik a little bit. He's not going to play at all. But uh, I think with, uh, oh man, I totally lost my my train of thought now as I was thinking about that. Ashik. Oh yeah, so Hutchison, he is a huge player for this team. I mean, drafted number 22, that's a, a lot of pressure, but he's the one guy who really can be someone who can defend on the wing on this team. If this, this team is going to evolve into what the Bulls hope it can be, and maybe they get that player in free agency too, but to have a cheap option there, if he hits, I think that changes a lot of things for this team because if he doesn't, then you really got to put a bunch of resources into going to find that guy. Yeah, I don't think we have official measurements on him because he did have that promise where he skipped out on the combine. Uh, the Bulls still deny that that promise existed, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that it's pretty likely that it was there, but I think he's, I think reports have him at around 6'7". He has pretty good size. I am a little bit more concerned with his defense than it sounds like you are just because... Uh, well, I, think- I, I mean, I don't have an opinion at all, really, basically. I, I just, th- that's just the hope of what he was drafted to be. Yeah, I think he can get to that point eventually, but uh, he played for Boise State and they played mostly zone. So I think it's going to take some time for him to adjust mm. to these NBA schemes. Yeah, yeah, that was actually something I wasn't aware of. So um, yeah, I think uh, getting to the foul line, massive problem there, 29th a year ago. And somewhat related to that, finishing at the rim, because when you get shots at the rim, but you don't get fouled, generally that turns into a really difficult shot at the rim that you're probably not going to make. And so I think you'll see a lot of times the teams that have the worst free throw rates also shoot the worst percentage at the rim because you're basically you're taking a miss away and turning it into free throws if you have that craft to get fouled going to the basket. So Parker, uh, other than on non-dunks, both he and Levine just don't really have a ton of touch. Parker in particular, since he came back from the ACL, I thought his finishing around the rim when he wasn't dunking was probably the thing that looked the worst for him compared to the pre-injury done. We talked about him 54% at the rim. That's not very good. Hutchison looked really bad finishing at the rim in summer league. Uh, even Carter is not incredibly explosive. Markin is really the one guy who finished well around the rim on this team. So uh, other than you know some of the other weaknesses we talked about, passing being another one, which I think brought up already, um, you know that's those are two that point uh, point out to me. Yeah, the biggest weakness too we haven't even gotten into. I think it's the point guard rotation. I mean, Dunn. Yeah, you, know, you can say what you want about him. Some people believe more in him than I probably do. But if he gets hurt, which he's missed games uh, in the past two years, if he gets hurt, they have nothing there, and that could really sabotage the whole season for the Bulls. Yeah, he only played fifty two games a year ago, starting forty three of them, and you know, and also just you know the shooting at the point guard position as well. I mean, you, again, this roster has talent, but you wonder uh, about uh, it being mismatched here. And especially point guard is the number one place to just, you know, if they even had someone who is closer to like a George Hill type who was going to stay out of the way, defend it, and hit some threes at the one, you know, I, I would like this team's offense a lot better. I think that Dunn is really both in terms of the fact that he is going to want to have the ball in his hands a lot and the fact that off ball, you know, he's pretty useless. I, I think that he could be a big part of why this squad might be less than the sum of its parts on yeah, offense. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Yeah, and, and I think they will be the sum of their parts on defense, but that's not necessarily a, a good thing. Um, all right, prediction time. What do you got here? Uh, and I will go back through our, our predictions from last year. You had us at... Or, 
us oh man no that's that's a bad Freudian slip uh had the Bulls at 24 wins I had them at 22 uh you were closer to the pin but I was closer in terms of point differential um and we had their best <laughs> we both had their best case scenario as uh 28 wins they actually got pretty close to that uh, with 27 and uh so what do you got for this year I think they'll have a little bit of an uptick, uh, just general, you know, improvement from an aging curve perspective. Uh, I think Vegas right now, it opened at 27 and a half. They have them at 28 and a half. People have been betting that over. So I'm going to go ahead and say this team can get to 30 wins. Okay, 30. Wow, that's, yeah, I mean, you want to believe, but it's just so much of their success last year was with Miritich. Now, they're not going to be tanking in theory, although who knows when they get down the end. I mean, John Paxson's like, oh, we're never going through that again, blah, blah. Uh, There is this feeling that they want to get into the free agent market so they want to look a little bit better as well so i don't know i mean i, I really like how do they get out of the bottom five in defense like, Nate, you gotta you gotta remember possible? they're playing the eastern conference 50 times right <laughs> i mean that's yeah. definitely that's definitely gonna help out um yeah, I don't know. I mean, if if they're going to be mired in the bottom five in defense, I mean, it's really hard to imagine to me them getting much above like, you know, 32 unless things just go incredibly right with the offense. And also, I mean, to remember that their point differential was that of a 22-23 win team. That, so, you know, even if they improve by five wins um, and, you know, I, w- I could say that this year's roster just with internal improvement, the Parker signing, et cetera, is five wins better than the team that ended last year. But the team that ended last year, you know, might have even been below a 21 team so i think i'll go 27 uh a little bit under uh, what that over under is in vegas right now and so best case scenario is really interesting because uh people are talking about this team as maybe getting into the playoffs i mean that like do you think that's at all realistic is there any scenario in which that happens i can't get there i'm trying to be a more uh optimistic person this year but yeah i think best case scenario maybe 36 37 wins i just don't see how they can compete at all defensively given that they lost one of their best defenders in waba and they're replacing him with jabari parker just if they had like someone who could shoot it all at point guard and nuaba was still on the team like i would probably be five wins higher on this team if not more you know i mean it's just i'm so concerned about the fit with these guys i really am yeah you know there's also like lopez could get traded as well i mean he's the the odds everyone's excited about carter but it's very unlikely that carter would be better than lopez this year so you could see lopez being traded or bought out in the last year of his contract um maybe more likely the latter they're they're pretty good at finding ways to have him not play for them at the end of the year at this point That is true. I mean, I think what the big bet that the Bulls are making here is they have these uh, second draft type of players in Levine, Parker, and Dunn. And individually, I think it's pretty fair to say that like it's more likely than not that they just continue on this career path where they're not quite fulfilling their potential. But when you take three bets, uh, you know, on each of them, then just having one of them hit, I think that that uh, becomes a lot more likely. And if if they can get one of those guys to break out, then I think you're starting to look at that best case scenario and you know the bulls future starts to become a lot brighter do you like Levine's future better or Parker's future better? Like if you had to to pick like one of them is going to be like a real solid player uh, four years from now, you like Parker better or Levine better? I probably like Parker better just because I've seen less of him. <laughs> I get to watch all of Levine's <laughs> games. So maybe I can sell myself on false hope, you know? Oh, that is that is great. That is spoken like a true bloggable alum. 
right there. <laughs> yeah, Matt, guilty as charged. Matt would be, be listening right now, and, and he would be very proud of you. Um, so your best case scenario would be 36, 37 wins? Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll say 37 just to give you a firm number there. Yeah, so, and that's, I mean, if they could get to 37, and I, I'm a little lower, I don't know that they could. Uh, but, you know, maybe with just like some absolute great luck in close games or something, they could get there. I don't see their fundamentals to me getting much above maybe 33. That would be my pick. But there's certainly maybe a chance there because I don't think that the Pistons, I'm not going to be picking the Pistons or the Hornets or the Cavs or God, the Magic. I mean, to be even close to 500, I don't think. I mean, I think the highest I've got any of those guys picked for is like 39. So yeah, I mean, 37 could do it. You know, that's 37 wins for the 2008 Hawks and 36 for the 2004 Celtics are the lowest uh, number of wins that has actually gotten into the playoffs this century. So it's 37 is not impossible, but it seems very unlikely at A, that they get there and B, that it's enough. Yeah, I think that's fair. How about a worst case scenario? Last year, we had 17 for you and 15 for me <laughs> as, as the worst case scenario. And uh, th- they could have been around there had it not been for that crazy Miritich stretch. Although I'm pretty sure that when we did the preview, we didn't know that Miritich had had his face broken by Bobby Porter. Yeah, that's true. And uh, <laughs> I went back and listened to last year's recording. And uh, oh, I want to give I want to give myself some props there. I actually suggested that Miritich might screw up the tank. So I think I, I might have <laughs> the only one <laughs> yeah no i mean it was uh because we, I think we're both a little higher on him than what he'd done those first three years of his career. Uh, felt that he'd been a little underutilized. So I'll go first for this one. I, I don't see them getting below 20. I, I would say like 21 is as bad as it could get. Yeah, I have 23 here. Um, yeah, you mentioned before John Paxson was pretty upset at all the tanking. He said the Bulls were not going to do that this season. But I mean, I could just see, as I mentioned before, if Dunn gets hurt and this thing starts to go south really quickly, the Bulls need a wing this upcoming draft is very shallow but there are some good wings up top and with the flattening of the lottery odds i think that if they have a chance to finish with one of those bottom three records then i mean they should really go for that uh pretty hard so i think that maybe you know this three-headed uh monster of john paxson gar foreman and uh michael reinsdorf maybe the other two can convince paxson that it's worth it to tank if if this team's going nowhere yeah and you mentioned the flattening of the lottery odds each of the three lowest spots all have the same odds so if you're down if you're mired that low there's no incentive to go lower uh and so when you're at 23 21 you're kind of down in that area you know once it's really in like the five through eight range that you see the big drop off in the odds and so it it, maybe they wouldn't be bad enough to where it would be uh, well actually no I, i should rephrase i think they will probably be right in that five to eight band where you know it might behoove them to tank a little bit you know so it's kind of maybe it's more likely that they get to 25 wins than that they get to 29 wins or something like that uh but we'll see i mean they tried to tank at the end of last year and and they pulled out all the stops and they still were actually winning games down the end compared to uh how bad some of those other teams were when it when it was just a an utter farce yeah that was actually what killed their lottery odds is um they kept on winning what you and danny call these tank versus tank matchups um so yeah yeah they finished with the sixth worst record got the seventh pick and i think that was a little bit of a disappointment for them although uh they drafted great so it all worked out i guess yeah we'll see i mean i i'm really carter is one of the guys i am most interested in seeing this year and he had a wonderful summer league we probably didn't talk about him enough but our time is is done here uh you can follow seven's work on the athletic uh sign up there at theathletic.com slash capspace that's actually our 
somewhere else, we can uh, get some credit for that. We're hoping to move forward with them in a larger role uh, if uh, this initial trial goes well. And the Twitter handle, my friend? It's at Stefno, S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. All right. Uh, thanks again for joining us and uh, enjoy New Orleans. And, and make sure you listen to uh, your wife's advice when it comes to that New Orleans food too. I <laughs> <laughs> will do that. Thank you, Nate. So a few of these teams that we've been talking about could use some extra money. The whole league is in a luxury tax crunch. Uh, unfortunately, uh, LendingClub.com offers loans for a ton of purposes unexpected repairs medical expenses credit card debt but they do not offer loans of extra cap space to nba teams but they will give you access to low rates on loans of up to forty thousand dollars for almost any purpose it's a lot easier than going to a bank for sure offers lower rates than high interest credit cards so just go to lendingclub.com you enter the amount you need and you find out in minutes whether you're approved pick the offer that's right for you and the money can be in your account just days later for more than 10 years lending club has helped millions of people with over 31 billion dollars in loans you can take charge of your finances today with lending club by going to lendingclub.com slash to check your rate for free checking your rate will not impact your credit score that's lendingclub.com slash lendingclub.com slash all loans made by web bank member fdic equal housing lender let them know what that slash cap space url that you came from us let's talk a little portland trailblazers now with eric gunderson this will be i think you've done this now all four years i want to say probably yeah. sounds that so- sounds right yeah that sounds right Yeah, going back to 2015 in 2015 i think i did 30 of these previews in like 20 days which was just absolutely <laughs> oh absolutely insane but each one was like it's own episode and i was like because i actually i quit my job as a lawyer on like october 2nd and the season started you know back then on like october 24th or something like that so yeah i i was like well i'm really jumping into this podcast thing i'm about to do 24 podcasts in uh you know uh and doing them on weekends or, and everything so it's uh yeah we're uh i guess i should stop shooting the shit here though and, and we can talk a little bit of blazers but I, I think the place to start here is just the changes that really didn't occur for this team in the offseason you know i mean they made some tinkering around the margins but what is the feeling with this same group including the coach there's some rumors that he might be moving on uh that they're all coming back now I think, uh, you know, there's just a lot of, uh, I think the fan, the, the, the word to sum up how the fan base kind of feels is disappointment. You know, they, you know, Neil Shea had, had, you know, he's been a great drafter, you know, he's hit some really good draft picks, but his free agency record hasn't been good. And, uh, you know, he, he talked about what he was going to do to improve the team and how the Pelican series was a wake up call and all these things. And, you know, for for him to say that they were too young and they needed to get more veteran talent and then for them to lose a leader like ed davis a guy who's a veteran who had a you know veteran by today's league standards shabazz napier who played you know pretty well for them last year uh you know to lose both of those guys and davis especially you know being such a important part of their team in the two years that they've really had success in these last two of these last three um you know and and him you know also just kind of being like a presence for the team off you know in the locker room and kind of just giving them a little attitude uh i think it you know kind of got people down and then you know for the 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 major additions to be you know nick stauskas and seth curry uh you know that didn't that didn't help either because those are guys get they're kind of unproven whereas this offseason was billed as a time to get more established guys more playoff ready guys and and that just didn't happen yeah i will say this for all i i second everything that you say but 
but he does deserve somewhat of the benefit of the doubt in terms of how he has been able to reload this team whether it's with draft picks whether it's with guys moving into roles you know going back to alan crab that you know would have thought maybe that they weren't ready for and letting guys go who just ended up you know not necessarily being bad players but being guys who weren't that essential to what they're doing and trusting in their development system that they can bring guys in and their summer league teams certainly look good so you know they let napier go they got wade baldwin coming in they let uh pat Connaughton go who was actually a a underrated rotation piece for them last year although someone i was saying why the hell they even keeping this guy on the team but he actually became a good rotation piece now he's in milwaukee and they brought in stauskas and they drafted gary trent and anthony simons and they brought in seth curry so they at least have a a bunch of options there uh and then jake layman is now going to come in to play potentially a little bit more on the wing and uh zach collins who they drafted number 10 overall uh, is going to try to replace uh, ed davis and that made sense to me also just that to give collins uh the chance to come in and earn a spot oh i yeah i mean i i I like the collins pick you know that that you know ties right into what i'm saying about olshay being a good drafter you know i think a lot of people were a little confused about that pick at the time but he really showed that he could play in the playoffs uh he he i thought performed very well when they asked him to play uh he's obviously very young but when you spend two picks to get this guy two first rounders to get him you you have to see what you have and and uh i i totally get that and i think uh there might have been you know Connaughton was a solid piece as you mentioned last year i think there may have been a little bit of a lesson learned by uh not tendering a qualifying offer even and not even trying to get into a bidding war with anybody uh for Connaughton and just saying hey we're gonna find guys that we think can shoot in the draft and at the minimum you know and and, you know instead of you know basically they just like got rid of Alan Crabb and now they're signing all these minimum guys and Gary Trent in an attempt to get that shooting back and uh given the financial situation that they're in they have to do that yeah and that's uh they're looking right now at a, a, a tax payment uh let's see here it would help if i don't look at the brooklyn sheet on my tab i saw alan crab and i was like oh this is the right team oh wait no it's not <laughs> no you gotta look for evan turner on this yeah one. <laughs> yeah and, and and myers leonard he's uh he's up near the top two so, so they're looking at a tax payment of about 12.6 million dollars they're eight million or so into the tax so unlikely that they're gonna find a way to get out of it unless they really just fall apart completely and they're they move someone like alfaro community there doesn't seem like they're gonna stretch myers leonard or, or be able to move him I mean, maybe the kings might have enough space to just take myers leonard and get them out of the tax but i, I don't see them getting out of the tax unless they just totally bomb and you know someone gets hurt and they're really out of playoff contention come the deadline here yeah and and i think you know the one good thing that you could say you know about those two contracts specifically on you know those bigger contracts is you know after this year you know they become expirings and and they become at least a little bit more palatable for another team if a situation were to present itself with a bigger salary guy to let them take salary off their books you know I, I i think that's the one thing you can kind of keep in mind and like probably the only thing 
that is, uh, you know, unless, you know, those guys suddenly have career seasons and they're just not who they've been, uh, you know, th- those are, are, are going to be potentially attractive assets next season. So, so like that is though, I guess the one saving grace of those contracts uh, outside barring, you know, a complete surprise. Yeah, we'll see. I'm a little skeptical that expiring contracts will be, have the same value they would have had back under like, you know, the 1999 or the 2005 CBA because teams overall contracts are a little bit shorter now teams are managing things a, a little bit better there is more cap space around the league so I'm, I'm not sure that that's going to be and then there aren't really that many bad contracts that go past 2020 either that necessarily could be taken on but we'll see where they're at at that point I mean I think this year to me just seems like so much of a crossroads overall Damian Lillard had that much publicized meeting with Paul Allen last year during the season CJ McCollum both those guys expire in 2021 so there's not really that much of a urgency there but there is I think some urgency just in terms of Damian Lillard maybe wanting to get moved and maybe just coming to the conclusion that this team is not going to get there uh with the the group that they have and that things need to be shaken up to some degree I've always maintained that you should keep the those two guys together but if Dame Lillard decides all right I need to go somewhere where and you know this is going to be his age 29 season I need to go somewhere where I can compete uh then uh, maybe that could change a little bit but uh let's talk a little bit more about the new additions here um so Seth Curry, yeah, go I, ahead. Sorry, you, you want to say something on, on what I just no, said? I, 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 no, I, 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 I did want to say something about Dame. Uh, you know, I, I think right now where he's at, uh, you know, I talked to some people around free agency when it seemed like like he was like the nadir of his unhappiness. Uh, you, you know, he, he is still in for Portland right now, but this happens in the NBA all the time. Like there's going to reach a moment where he's not going to be happy yeah. anymore. And, and that doesn't and, make him a, a bad person. He, I, I, like I he's, he's a competitive guy. No, That's what no. He doesn't mean that he hates the city of portland or something like that no i mean he loves portland he would he would obviously rather be here but (laughs) yeah exactly it's a great town but he you know is is you know he's been patient you know like he's been very patient and i think uh he's he really wants to see some some difference and yeah we can talk about the new additions now i think this is important because i think this is a crossroads and i think we're gonna get touch on that yeah well so this is maybe a little more lower level than that but you know so, so they They've got really five new guys. You know, Wade Baldwin, I kind of think of him as new. I know he signed towards the end of last year. But Seth Curry, Wade Baldwin, Nick Stauskas, Gary Trent Jr., Anthony Simons. Put those guys in order of who's going to play the most coming off the bench in the backcourt. Uh, I would say number one is is Curry if healthy. I think he's definitely going to play. Uh, are they seeing him guys. as a, a one or a two more? You know, I think in the Blazers system, it's really honestly the one and two can honestly be really interchangeable yeah. at times. Uh, and, and so uh, I I don't know if they have a, a specific thing for him, but I mean with Baldwin also there, um, I I'd probably put Baldwin at two, um, just because I think Baldwin's going to get a lot of chances to play. Yeah. I think they like. I, I think they hi- I think they had him. High high on their board you know when in his draft class and they just kind of took the chance in that second draft kind of thing and I I think he's gonna play a lot and then I would say Trent um I would put Trent ahead of Stauskas um I know Stauskas had a good year last year but I just think Trent with the size and he's already got an NBA ready body and I I just think he's gonna play more and then I would say Stauskas and I think Simon's at the end um Stauskas you know the one thing that I, I think about those four 
before, you know, I think Simons showed that he's actually a little bit more advanced than I thought at summer league. Uh, he could really read rotations on defense and was in the right place generally, which you don't see from a guy, you know, that didn't even play college basketball. Uh, and you know, that was really encouraging, but Stauskas, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not really sold on the other aspects of his game, but the one thing I will say about all those guys is to me, it signals, uh, just, we want to shoot yeah. like they are going to, they're going to jack up more threes. They want more guys. You can kind of do a little thing with the ball and they're just going all perimeter. And like, kind of, to me, I think my first reaction to it was, it kind of reminds me of like a poor man's almost like rockets team where it's yeah. like, we're just going to get a bunch of guys that can shoot threes and, and, and see if we can figure it out. Yeah. They did have a relatively low three point attempt rate, which when you got two great shooters like Dame and CJ in the backcourt, that's disappointing. But it, with the departure of crab last year is something we talked about uh, on last year's program that harkless aminu evan turner i mean those are uh, it's one of the worst three-point shooting three and four man groups and then you know they also went a lot with zach collins and ed davis together off the bench uh, on the second unit or they're starting swan again early and he's he showed a little range in summer league but uh that's another question i have for you too rotationally what do you see them doing at the backup for i mean i i assume the starting lineup is going to be what it's been with Harkless and Aminu, Yusuf Nurkic, but are, are they going to go with that two big man look off the bench, do you think? Or are they going to try to find a way to go with a little bit more of a spread attack, a little more defensive versatility at backup four? You know, because they've got Lehman, they've got, eh, you know, Evan Turner is kind of in there. Maybe Harkless or Aminu could could play off, you know, with some bench units. Yeah, I mean, it, right now, I think it, it, it's tough to say because I don't even know if Stotts knows right now what he's going to go to. I would say probably, I, I think they... I think they will try to go big first. Like, I think there is going to be kind of a sense like, hey, we spent a first round pick, albeit a late one on Swanigan. Uh, and I think they, when they look at those two guys, I think they can kind of do some high, low stuff. Swanigan and, and Collins, can, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, Swanigan and Collins. They can both they can both shoot. You know, Collins, I think, was a better shooter than I expected him to be. Uh, and, and a lot of the guys on the team like his shot. You know, Dame talks about how small smooth Collins' shot is specifically. And, you know, Swanigan, I think the, the, the problem that you're going to run into defensively is, you know, can he guard? But I think what they could do is, you know, maybe Collins can guard fours at times because he's a little bit smaller, a little bit quicker. And maybe you have Swanigan guard fives and try and kind of beat guys up and, and out-rebound guys and kind of beat them in that way at first. I think they're going to try that first. I think that's what they would rather do. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's going to work as well. Um, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe Jake Lehman still just won't be able to play. You know, I mean, the player that he was in Summer League, and now granted, he's 24 years old, a third-year player, like you should be playing well in Summer League. But, you know, he shot the ball well. He shot on the move. He's a good transition player. And what you're saying defensively, I think, you know, yeah, that's probably, if you have to have Swanigan and Collins out there together, that's probably your best lineup to have Collins guard force. But I really like Collins uh, with his mobility as a rim protector, but he's not really, you know, I think he showed in the playoffs last year that he's not really up to, like, getting out on the perimeter and switching and really guarding one-on-one or closing out to the perimeter so i i really you know they would at least be able to get on the offensive glass with that unit which they like to do with their second unit but uh, other than that i really you know don't see much of the appeal i mean i'd rather see evan turner at the four i'd rather see harkless or, or aminu coming in or, or you know even going small because I, I just i'm not a swanigan believer at all especially in concert with the another traditional big man yeah and i get the the swanigan skepticism i mean i like he, he 
he's you know his quickness is obviously in the foot speed is 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 the the big concern with him uh but but the one thing offensively is that the one thing that i could say for that group is that the spacing wouldn't be as bad offensively as i think it would be traditionally with guys of their of their size because they can both are pretty smart decision makers uh swanigan in particular and uh both of them you know they're not afraid to shoot the three and kind of space the floor for their other ball handlers so you know if there's one thing to kind of you know save that group a little bit is that you know they can all you know they're not like the best shooters but they're not afraid to shoot and kind of space it out and layman you know played well in summer league but has never really made threes consistently oh, yeah. in the league. yeah i mean he, he's this so, white so, guy so, so you think like he's a good shooter but he i mean if even neil olshay is saying he needs to get better as a shooter and olshay is probably the ultimate spin master for his own moves if even he's saying that then you know it's true yeah so like i i would honestly you know i've seen more confidence from swanigan and i think his shot looks better at times even though he's a big dude and 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 collins i think is a probably one of the better shooters on the team and i just think you could get away with that offensively and if you can make up with it with offensive rebounds and you know being a really good defensive rebounding team as well i think you there are ways that you can get away with it whereas you know one of the things that that olshay's talked about as a concern from that new orleans series was that they hadn't they didn't have enough guys that you had to guard beyond the three-point line yeah. and and so like that's going to be super important to whoever they put out there basically any position other than Nurkic. yeah and people will remember during that series that lillard uh, although i think he just could have played better in general he did have some chances and just couldn't knock down the looks that he was hitting all all season but the trapping by new orleans did really seem to flummox uh, dame miller to some degree and they weren't really able to take advantage as much uh, of that and then defensively uh, i think that's something we should talk about too is just what this team's defense is going to look like here but first let's do a, a quick read and i will be right back with eric Anderson. so i'm sorry to say this but if you're not using an electric toothbrush yet your teeth are just not getting as clean as they could be i know because like most of us i started off with just a, a normal toothbrush and especially when i was a kid too i, I think these actually would be great for kids i really loathed brushing my teeth i felt like it wasn't important just wanted to get it over with there's no way i was brushing for the two minutes that you really need to do according to your dentist but with quip they're taking a lot of the pain points out of brushing your teeth in addition to just the fact that quip does a better job than a normal toothbrush does despite the fact that it's pretty much the same size they've got their subscription so they deliver your new brush heads every three months that's the other thing that people mess up is not renewing your brush head often enough so they deliver those for just five dollars and that's with free shipping worldwide i don't know how they're managing to do that to send stuff worldwide with free shipping but pretty impressive it's also just really convenient it's got this suction mount that you can put on the mirror if you're kind of limited for counter space in your bathroom you can also then use it as a cover for hygienic travel that's what i am doing right now on my honeymoon it just fits in my dop kit just as easily as any other normal toothbrush would it's got this triple a battery that lasts for three months that's part of the subscription plan too and here's the best part it starts at just 25 bucks and if you go to getquip.com slash capspace right now you get your first refill pack free with a quip electric toothbrush that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash capspace once again getquip.com slash capspace that's g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash capspace let them know that slash capspace url that you came from us so there's a feeling i think that this team kind of is what it is you know we mentioned they've got some young guys who i think can move into roles but you know i think dame and cj really have both been at this level now 
for three years dame actually had i thought his best year last season i thought cj actually redressed just a little bit uh but what do you think they're we're gonna get from dame lillard the, this year i mean is he was outstanding 59 percent true shooting 25 pr uh was up to 31 percent usage i mean the career highs just about across the board in uh what was his age 27 season i, I misspoke saying he turned 29 this year uh turned 28 but is there another level for him to get to or do you think that he is is there any low-hanging fruit in his game still i mean he also got much better defensively last year or is you know he, he's about as good as he can get right now and might even take a little little bit of a step back not a big you know I, he's such a great athlete that i think he can get better defensively still you know I, I i think he he was much stronger and they were a pretty good defensive team for most of the year but i still think that he has some room to grow there and uh i think offensively you kind of want to just see this this growth continue a little bit with him driving to the lane and the one thing he didn't really do as well last year as he normally does is finish yeah. and 55 percent you know last year you know he he can do better than that he's had better seasons and that comes and goes and i i i think that if he can do that better he's really rounded out his mid-range game his threes you know they are you know one of the toughest to guard in the game but if he can you know get those finishes and i think to dame's credit again you know he didn't play as well as he could have in that new orleans series but the trapping is not something in with anthony davis it's different but trapping dame has been a strategy since like his first or second week in the league once people saw that he could shoot the three teams trapped him and the blazers got through it for years because they had a lot of guys that could score around him and they just haven't other than cj and i i i think he can i think he can you know solidify little things in his game but i think those things can kind of come together to continue to improve and i I mean he did have his best season last year yeah uh was first team all nba i mean it helped that steph got hurt but um he deserved it yeah and And he was my pick for first team all nba as well yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there are little things still in his game that he can get better at, and I think uh, he'll still be uh, at that level next year, if not just a tiny bit better. You know, especially if his finishing improves. So this is actually you mentioned the finishing uh, at the rim was not as good for him, although he does uh, get to the foul line a fair amount. CJ McCollum. 55% at the rim as well you know not great for him either uh they didn't they don't really have like an unbelievable you know athlete guy maybe Mo Harkless is probably the one guy you could look at uh Nurkic is actually a poor finisher inside for a big and he also takes a lot of shots oh. uh where you know yeah. those little flip shots where um so if you this is a stat that Liam pulled if you watch a Blazers game you better not like miss or, or you better not like made layups and made dunks because the Blazers were worst in the NBA with 58% at the rim on their own shots. And then, though, much ballyhooed, they held opponents to 55% at the rim themselves. That is the lowest opposing field goal percentage at the rim since the 2013-14 Pacers, which are, are well known as being one of you know the great half-season defenses. That was the Roy Hibbert team. They held teams to 53% at the rim. So that's uh, a pretty, pretty good encapsulation of kind of what you'll see in during a regular season Blazers game at least um do you think they can keep up the defense that they showed a year ago I mean it's it's always been built on forcing teams to take the right shots but this is I believe the first time they've had a top 10 defense in the Stotts Lillard era 
Yeah, I think they had one with LaMarcus Aldridge and Robin Lopez. I think they had one that like maybe got top 10, yeah. but I, I this this is the best one since LaMarcus left. And, you know, LaMarcus was a good defender in his uh, defense, and so was Lopez. Um, but Lillard, you know, I think he he did get better, and, and there's like little tiny things here and there where he can get better at, and I, and I liked his aggression. I liked his attentiveness off the ball. I think he really improved in a lot of those areas, and uh, I think CJ is a smarter defender uh, than you know. I think people give him credit for, and I help. I think that helps him get around some of the size disadvantages that he has. And um, the, Nurkic w- was so impressive defensively for me. Uh, I think that was uh, he was a key, and also I mean Davis is going to be the one that they're going to have to replace. Uh, but I think Collins can do a good job of that. And so uh, and, and and they started the season off. I mean they finished top ten. They started the season off like in the top three or something defensively. And for the first about month of the season, Aminu was out. Yeah. He was their best defensive yeah, guy. And they so, completely had fallen apart the previous year when Aminu missed time. They were like mired in like, you know, the, the high 20s. Uh, they might have even been the worst defense in the league, if I recall. I think that was the year that Kevin Love had the 34-point game in the first uh, first quarter against them, and they were just awful without Aminu. Yeah, I mean, they completely fell apart defensively without him. And, and the fact that they did it, you know, that they improved on that when he got hurt this past season, you know, I, I think was a testament to Nurkic. And, you know, I, I know that they tried to get, or the, the reports were that they tried to get it on the DeMarcus Cousins thing, and that didn't work out because they have the same agent. But, uh, you know, Nurkic is a better defensive center than Cousins, especially coming off an ACL tear, and or an Achilles tear, excuse me. And, and Nurkic did bring a lot of value in that. He was awful offensively, like one of the worst guys in the league scoring around the basket but he really did you know you know it was a market rate contract kind of like the plumbing one but to me you can at least build a, a defense around Nurkic and yeah. that is I thought that was a fair is deal wor- is worth something that was a fair deal I mean yeah especially given the fact that they apparently were offering him like you know 15 million a year before that uh so you know six that he turned down like 65 million uh so that was uh that, that was too bad for Nurkic but they got him on a pretty good deal with only 40 million guaranteed over those the four years yeah I, I mean, and, and he he brought he brought a lot of value to them defensively, and I think you know he was light on his feet. He he could also play you know sometimes in some you know smaller context, and you know th- th- he also you know didn't get pouty though when they would play Ed Davis or Zach Collins over him in the last few minutes of a game, which did happen some games yeah. because of matchups, and 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 I think that was the big knock on him. Like, what would happen if you know, he wasn't always finishing games and what would happen if you know some of the same things that happened to him in Denver happened well some they would happen sometimes in Portland and you know to his credit he dealt with them uh pretty well and so uh I, I think the defensive and the defensive kind of base that they have with him I think they will at least be average you know on, on the defensive end because of yeah. how good Nurkic is yeah now I, I completely agree with you as far as the regular season is concerned I think in the playoffs though it just becomes so much harder for them to defend i mean they're, they're kind of built on the math but when you have i mean you saw what the lineup of ad and miritich did to this team i mean nurkic just had no one to guard you know he he really is not capable of guarding a shooter on the perimeter can zach collins be that guy you know he tried to be it at, at the end of some of those games it didn't look great maybe with more experience he can get there i i do have some skepticism there as well because really i mean this is i mean i don't know if they're a lock for the playoffs but certainly 
with the 49 games the fact that they you know until the injury the ankle injury that Lillard suffered at the end of last year they were cruising to the three seed they eventually got it anyway uh so you know this is a team that wants to match up and actually beat teams in the playoffs and they really only have done that with that super injured Clippers team at this point and so much as this and I think given the personnel the fact they're as good defensively in the regular season is fantastic but it's just how can you build a successful playoff defense with this personnel when you've got Dame and CJ who probably aren't really good switch guys and then you've got Nurkic a a slow center the the versatility may just not be there no and I think you know they're really gonna you know it's really early to count on a guy like Gary Trent but or you know or Curry who's another small guy but you know their only option may be what they did a lot of last year which is playing three guards and they're going to be overmatched with size a lot but they're just going to have to you know kind of adjust because I you know they it's really hard for them to play with and and Harkless you know he was out for those a first couple of those playoff games and he also had an injury that was an underrated loss to be sure I mean and coming back from a surgery I mean he obviously was not going to be the same guy there no and 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 he did shoot the ball well last year and so you know if you can kind of envision maybe Lillard McCollum a guy like Trent who can shoot the ball Harkless and Aminu as like a super small you know lineup you know maybe you could convince yourself that that is one of those lineups it's going to be undersized but you know it it at least you, you can kind of stay matched up you know or at least coax teams into posting up or something that is not just allowing open shots the way that they have in the postseason all right i, I want to go a little bit differently here because this team is so similar uh and talk about some of the scenarios for this team in a little bit more detail i mean I usually do best case worst case in terms of a record but let's talk about they won 49 last year they had an expected wins of 47 they're, they're a little lucky had some pretty good clutch time performances so if you look at them as starting as a 47 win baseline, I mean, I, I think my expectation overall would be they're pretty similar to where they were last year, given the fact the personnel is pretty similar, although they've, they had pretty good health last year. But let's say this team is going to get up to the low to mid 50s in wins. What is a realistic scenario in which that could happen? Like what what could happen here that would make that occur? Mo Harkless, uh, you know, builds off of what he, the success he had last, like late last season and doesn't kind of disappear into that place where he did at the beginning of the season. I mean, he he really uh, with saying that you know, he came out and said that uh, the the offense only ran through three guys and all this stuff and then he got benched and, and, and he was a non-factor until like the second half of the season. So if Harkless can continue to shoot the ball well from three as he did last season that's a huge boost. Aminu, if he can do that, that that's big and he continues to play good defense. If Nurkic can be the same guy defensively and get better offensively I mean he's 24 he could make layups maybe maybe he gets better at layups if that happens that's huge uh yeah I I think he could just reduce stand to reduce his usage overall Nurkic is one of the higher usage centers out there that you'll find I mean 26 percent usage rate and when you're at 53 percent true shooting as a center you really shouldn't be below the league average in terms of efficiency he also is a pretty high turnover rate we didn't see as much of him and that's a lot of him trying to do too much it's not as much of him facilitating at the elbows like we saw when he first got to Portland they kind of went away from that I felt uh you correct me if I'm if I'm wrong there but they, they went away from no, that last no. year uh to more of 
of just the Damon CJ centric stuff once it became clear early on that like the offense because the offense was like in the mid 20s for like the first couple of months of the year they ended up you know mid pack or right around 15th uh, after Dame just started going crazy in January so yeah I agree with you Nurkic I think he could get more efficient and maybe just because they have more shooting everyone can kind of just finish around the rim a little bit better they shoot more threes you know I think there's still there's a way that this offense could get into the top 10 but you know the question becomes if you're playing Curry if you're playing a Stauskas if you're uh, you are are you gonna if you're gonna play small three guard looks now are you compromising the defense too much yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, it, it's always going to be a, a give and take and they're going to have to figure out ways to balance lineups to get guys that can defend a little bit better out there with their shooters. Uh, you, you hope that a guy like Gary Trent can be that elusive guy that can defend and shoot threes. And, you know, he is a rookie, but he did play at Duke. He's yeah. the son of an NBA player. It's, it's you tough. Know, th- 19 years. I, I'm also a little skeptical. He's quite ready for the NBA three. And I think he'll get there but he looked he still looks more comfortable kind of curling in for long twos just in terms of uh, just based on summer league but uh you know i mean i like that pick obviously at the at 37 i thought it was and they did too because they gave up a couple of future picks to get him yeah and uh also you know zach collins you know can he really take an, an another step in the right direction to be a guy that can guard both the four and the five like can he really do that on a consistent basis does that three-point shot hold up does he become a better better decision maker can Swanigan stay on the court and can he kind of find that offensive rebounding role that the Blazers had with Ed Davis you know can Swanigan kind of replace some of that value with the extra possessions uh and and can they can these guys that they signed you know really make an impact and and make some threes you know they're really gonna have to um play well offensively because that is one of the bets that they made is they got rid of one of their best most consistent defenders in an attempt to become a better three-point shooting team so you know is that just tilting the team towards offense you know is that enough and so um i think there's a way though you know where everything goes right and they make their threes and they can rebound and they don't get too hurt too much defensively where it works and they make the playoffs and they you know and they give themselves a chance but you know i think that is kind of the best case scenario is they you know shoot the shoot the lights out and become a team that uh they were not you know that become the the more like a Terry Stotts offense you know they were not that last year you know they were they were a, a slow methodical the ball didn't really move yeah. as much I mean, as it those normally flare does. screens don't work when you either number one the guy coming off the flare screen into the corner can't actually shoot or b if he is going out of the corner you can just chase him around him and then you have to worry about him curling to go back door on that play because you've just got plenty of help available in the lane off of their other non so i think the lack of shooting really killed some of that motion that he uh you know looked so beautiful at times earlier in his stint yeah i mean it, it's just it did they didn't have any flow there was no flow at all to their offense and if they can rediscover that and still keep some of that defensive identity which you know the these guys yeah olshay talks about how young they are and they are what the younger they were the youngest roster in the playoffs and they got younger by getting simons and trent but you know they yeah. have a lot of experienced guys at this point guys that have been in the nba six five years you know this is well, not and, you know and their they two know, best guys you know, are basically the most experienced on this team now at this point 
That is interesting. Yeah. I, I guess maybe yeah. maybe Farouk would be the other one. But like, yeah, they that's interesting. They don't really have like the old head veteran leader anywhere on this roster. Not even as a as like a bench guy. But you know, I think Dame sets the culture so well that's not really a concern. Yeah. No, I think they're they're banking on Dame and and, and maybe you know it, it, maybe putting a little too much on him. I, you know, I, I I know that he can handle it, but it seems like they are you know just like putting even more on him to make this happen and uh you know yeah he's the the culture setter he's that guy and and you know maybe by bringing a guy like seth curry another guy you know to come in and who's bounced around the league and and has kind of been around you know he's only been in the league four years but he's you know had lots of ups and downs from the d from the d league and getting back into the league so you, you do have some experience there but yeah it's really a young team it's a team built on younger experience than they have been in the past you know who i actually think is a kind of a key to this season which i mean i'm not saying like oh man if this guy doesn't come through like they're gonna suck or something but i think he is someone just the nature of his game if he actually can play the way he looked in summer league i actually think that layman and i'm not i think it's you know i'm not saying there's a high probability of this because you know the guy's a 29 percent career shooter from the field uh but if he can play like the way he played in summer league and hit shots the way he put he did in summer league and defend he really changes this team a lot either at the three or the four to give them a shooting option and i heard your sharp intake of breath i believe i i agree i think this is a low probability uh but you know i mean he at least showed he could do it for a seven eight game run in the summer league and so like he just gives them a dimension that i don't think anyone else on this roster can give them and if he's out there and can bang some threes and defend his position then all of a sudden like there's so much more space for everyone else to operate i'm just and you don't have to give up as much size defensively is that going to happen probably not but you know that that would unlock a completely different element than they've had yeah and and the thing with layman is that you know you you talk about great athlete you know he's an exceptional athlete you know he can really he has a lot of bounce like he can jump he's a very fluid athlete good transition Uh, guy you know he yeah yeah so like he'd be a guy if if he can shoot the three you know he would be a guy that that could change things and i was down on him going into summer league i'll be honest oh me too i thought it was completely ridiculous that they guaranteed his contract on uh oh yeah no yeah i even said that i i remember sitting next to danny and kevin pelton at the first summer league game and saying why the hell did they guarantee this guy (laughs) like we were i i was i said that at summer league and he really did perform and so um if he can you know that's big because then you could theoretically say okay let's throw dame cj then you say Aminu, Harkless, and Layman. You've got three six nine guys out there instead of you know uh, three six two guys. You know that is a big step, and so. Uh, if he can do that, if he can really deliver and and be another one of these, you know, second rounders that becomes a rotation guy that Neil O'Shea has had a track record of, you know, then then that changes things. And then that gets Portland into the conversation of, you know, staying with Oklahoma City, perhaps, and Utah in the division. Yeah, and Collins might be in that category, too, of if he can really become, you know, as much of a stretch threat. I mean, I'm not quite as high in his jump shot as as you are i mean 32 percent last year but you know if he, he can give them a stretch five look and defend as well as nurkic it, again maybe that really opens things up maybe that uh gives damon cj if they get trapped the ability to just hit a guy for a pick and pop three you know that that'll end that real quickly uh, that tactic um so all right let's say they fall out of the 
the playoffs and they win 40 games so they win 41 you know other than just you know injury to dame or cj or something like that where do some real realistic regressions come from that push them down into that range um you know i i, I think if if Dame kind of takes a step back on defense, if it's kind of like, you know, I, I think it, a guy that we can think of that has had like kind of some st- spurts and stops, like John Wall, if he has what, I don't think he's going to have that. But like, if he were to have like one of those seasons where he's like jacking up bad shots and stuff like that, like, I don't think that's going to happen. But like, that's, I'm just saying, it's a scenario. If he gets frustrated or something with, with everything, that that it becomes too much. And, you know, that's, you know, people are human. And, and so, even Dame, and so that that is one concern. CJ, if if the regression that he had last year with his mid range shot and and all that stuff, if that sticks around, if he doesn't improve, if it, if his mid range shot is just you know not the exceptional mid range jump shot that it was, you know yeah. that that will hurt. Yeah, because because um, he was shooting you know high forties before, and then you know last year uh, he fell back to from twos outside of sixteen feet, forty uh, three percent so but that that's still you know four or five percent lower than where he was in previous years to my recollection let me double check that yeah yeah i mean he basically every mid-range area he took a step back last year yeah and and, and uh, it wasn't too bad he was he was 45 percent and 44 the year before but then and then those short rangers he was at 51 percent uh inside of 16 feet on jumpers but and and the three ball he was down two percent so yeah it was just a little bit of stepping his usage was lower too i think that was actually the biggest thing that was a surprise to me uh was that he didn't shoot it as much and his limited playmaking decreased as well uh you know he really just does not get any assists for given what his role is yeah and i think it, it, the the whole i think the real the, the situation is it, it, with him and turner is really hard because i think i think that's really the tough that's the one of the tougher fits you know it's like when they play on that second unit together and it's cj and turner and it's like who's making the plays who's doing the shooting and it's they've never really found a way to make that work and if they still can't find a way to make it work if turner can't be effective at all um you know that's going to continue to hurt and uh you know if harkless you know just craters back to norm to his kind of career norm shooting the three yeah he he was 42 percent last year harkless on 118 attempts and i I thought he i mean just in terms of the way it looked he seemed more aggressive uh in terms of just shooting on the move a little bit more getting a few more more shots off but it's still only 3.4 per 36 minutes you know that's not a crazy number it'd be nice if that could get higher for sure yeah i mean it that but but if he you know falls back to that if if say uh you know swanigan continues to be kind of a, a tough guy to play because of his foot speed uh you know things like that you know the, yeah. the, those are a lot of ways where it can kind of you know just come up short and uh if turner continues like i said you know if, if he continues to really not find a real role during the season because that's been one of the harder things and he's had good stretches but it's never been consistent and and i think uh you know if that inconsistency kind of continues if nurkic can can you know continues to either soak up a lot of possessions or can't make layups or dunks you know that is going to continue to 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 really limit the team's potential so you know th- those are all the things that can go wrong yeah and I, I, another thing i could look at to as possible regression indicators one is there's a possibility that this team 
team's bench could just be really bad you know i mean you've got a second year guy in collins that they are really counting on heavily you know ed davis as you mentioned was a big stalwart for them they got good play from uh shaz napier last year wade baldwin is unproven curry is a big health risk he missed all of last season with that tibia injury that eventually had surgery and then you know they've got really unproven guys as shooters at the two and so you know some of those bench units i mean they stagger damon cj a ton but some of those bench units can look really bad if uh you know they don't get enough shooting out there and then the other thing i think is that the defense you could think could be prime for aggression i mean we mentioned 55 percent at the rim is the best in the last four years in the nba for opponents and while i think that they are their system encourages that and teams have always shot not a great percentage at the rim that you could see them take a little bit of a of a step back there and so if this team's defense isn't top 10 and you know i mean you could very easily see this team being more of an average defense i mean that's kind of what their personnel would dictate frankly that they kind of do it with smoke and mirrors and and with the math so if that no longer is the case and they just stay right where they are offensively uh then you know this this is a 500 team yeah no they're they're in a very tough spot right now i mean i think they're you know they they try to make some calculated bets on on shooters and and guard play and and their draft picks um but you know there's a lot of unproven guys on this team and you know they they've kind of gotten away with that um but we'll see if they can get away with it again you know that's the question is can can they do it again with a lot of guys that are you know second draft guys like baldwin or you know second round picks like like layman you know the good news is at least they have a lot of those guys so you only really need like one of them in each category to come through right yeah they 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 took a lot of they were they they made a lot of small wagers and if one of them hits you know that's going to be a a big thing for them or if a couple of the you know seven or whatever (laughs) yeah but uh, so uh anything you see that we haven't mentioned yet as a uh, big strengths or weaknesses for this team you know i i, I think the 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 coaching kind of i think one strength that probably gets overlooked is you know i i know that there was talk of stots being on the hot seat and stuff like that but yeah. I do there think was also talk of a him lot of wanting to just go somewhere else as well yeah yeah well i i do think that there is a lot of there's a lot of institutional knowledge on that coaching staff i mean uh david vanterpool stots uh, Nate Tibbetts, you know, uh, Dale Osborne, those guys have been there for a long time. And the fact that they don't have to kind of start over, you know, it's kind of been their only strength, but it, I think it bears repeating that continuity is a strength of theirs and that they really bank on that being something that they can bet their team on. And so uh, I know it is, it, it, especially when they didn't have a very flashy off season, but th- the fact that there's not a lot of get to know you, um, helps them and i think is 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 an advantage for them over a lot of other teams yeah and some uh david Locke, uh, foremost among them have posited that perhaps with the shorter training camp the continuity could be more valuable we'll probably need a few seasons worth of data to determine whether that's true now but i, I think another thing you could point to which is an intangible certainly is resilience because they have had a lot of times you know i mean i think the the first year after lamarcus left they were like eight games under 500 or something came back made the playoffs ended up making it to the second round they always seem to have some stretch where they're just like at 500 and it looks like they're not going anywhere and then they always seem to get hot towards the end of the year and so i think if they start off 
poorly there's a faith here that they can turn it around and get better the question just becomes though all right you know if that's if we start the season off 500 and yeah okay maybe we could get up to 47 wins here if we finish up well but you know you if you start the season 500 it's like all right we're not really a contender in the west and and i mean i don't think anyone believes they're going to be a contender in the west this year but still you know you hope that you can make that leap and then also with the idea that stats maybe could have been on the hot seat or maybe even was looking to go somewhere else there's the potential that a poor start this year maybe could could end up with uh with him getting axed as well and that could be lead to major changes as well yeah i mean that's that's uh you know a start like that that stats gets fired that that's when you start sounding the alarms about about dame yeah because that i mean stats stats is dame's guy and like those guys you know it's not necessarily a package deal but but dame has made clear that stats is his guy and so uh that would be a very tough situation and and the scenario that you talked about you know if they're 500 again um you know dame has a lot of pride and has done it before and gotten them to the playoffs and gotten to higher seeds than expected but you know does he want to do that again another thing that's really interesting to watch to me with this team is just what is the record and how do the teams at the top of the conference look i think you know houston could very easily take a step back this year golden state you know they didn't really do much to address some of their regular season weaknesses and and they got demarcus cousins but he probably isn't going to play until like february or something so uh and then with if steph curry gets injured or something you could see them taking a little bit of a step back and and just generally curry you know all those guys are a year older they're probably all all four of them their four best guys are a little bit on the downside now so if they if golden state just looks like all right you know we're we're on our way to winning 58 games throughout the start of the year and they look a little more vulnerable and houston looks a little more vulnerable then maybe as portland you're more interested in keeping this together and selling the idea of keeping this together if those teams look vulnerable if golden state and houston just both rock it out of the gate and looks like they're both going to win 65 again and portland's on their way to 46 wins it's like all right you know why are we even doing this anymore yeah no uh, yeah i think context matters a lot you know uh, what happens with the lakers you know what what happens with them how yeah. how lebron and that team kind of works out i mean there's a lot of things how does denver look you know sure. you know how does new orleans how does new orleans look i mean they're they're a major candidate to you know really improve minnesota is another and one so, of those i mean a lot of the spurs we don't know what they're yeah. gonna look at. i think there is a lot of fluidity right i mean i think you could very easily say this team i'm not going to pick them to be third in the conference but you could see this team being anywhere from third to totally out of the playoffs you know i mean it's and i would probably have them a little bit towards the bottom of that range because i don't think they have quite the upside of some of these other teams but yeah i think that's very interesting you know and if all these other teams start out struggling you know i think that'll change things as well any other weaknesses that, that pop out to you here before we do our predictions uh you know i, I i'm i still want to see you know do they have a guy that can score on the interior you know can a guy not necessarily as a as like a, a post-up guy but can can they have a guy that sets a screen and can finish on the pick and roll yeah. you know can, do they have a guy that can do that because they right now i can't say that they do you know and and so uh you yeah. know does Nurkic a guy can, emerge can shoot that? on the pick and roll <laughs> can can he finish it is uh you know maybe a little bit of a different question yeah exactly and and so that's that's the question is like you know can they find a guy that scores when the ball is out of dame or cj's hands and it's in a pick and roll a three on, uh you know in a, in a four on three situation yeah. like can can't is there some someone on this team that can do that and if someone can emerge you know that that's a big plus for them but right now that's i mean it's a huge weakness is is just guys outside yeah. of damon cj Collins that can is make kind of a crappy finisher inside too yeah i mean he's just not very strong right now i mean i think he i think he's a better you know he only shot 32 percent, but i think he's a better 
better. I think he's he's better off shooting that three yeah. than you know trying to finish at the rim right now. And if he can improve there, that would be great too. Or at least you know maybe become a better decision maker, better passer, what have you. You know, but if if there's something that they like really desperately lack, I think it's you know just having a role guy that they can you know create with and kind of you know f- or not just create score and create. You know, they got to have a guy that can do both. And I don't know, they just don't. I don't think they have that guy. I will say at least Nurkic has had some success posting up against switches you know against houston that game at home which i think they ended up losing when harden and just went crazy down the end of it that was oh, actually yeah. one of like the best games of the season i thought but nurkic actually had some success getting deep post position against some of their their smaller players but yeah i, I agree finishing inside it is a weakness and we saw of course that their shooting at the rim was 30th and then another thing you can obviously point to as a weakness which it always is with sots that very conservative style defensively they never force turnovers they're down at the bottom of the league 20 ninth again uh, a year ago um they are probably going to foul a lot i'm guessing zach collins is a walking foul swanigan is a young big nurkic always seems to get in foul trouble as well they're only 18th a year ago and with more young bigs playing i think they're gonna foul more uh we're gonna see some of that myers leonard My- My- myers leonard too you know if, he, oh, if myers yeah, leonard plays this, you know yeah. this fulfills our responsibility to mention him in a non-contractual setting but we can move on <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. What's your prediction? Oh man. I, I, I think th- there's a lot of continuity here where they get like, you know, uh, 47, 48 wins and they, and they get into the playoffs. You know, I, th- I think they're still going to hover around the same place. Uh, and I think that they'll, I think they'll just get in, you know, on the fact that the resiliency that you talked about, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I talked about worst case scenarios with Dame earlier, but I just, nothing in my experience covering this team leads me to believe that 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 he's going to let that happen so i i think that they still stay in the high 40s and you know get into the playoffs as like a you know mid to lower seat all right so can you give me a specific number i, I gotta enter it on my spreadsheet so i i i'll go i'll go 48 okay. one win less than one win less than last year yeah so i i as i mentioned they were 49 33 a year ago 47 win point differential so i see that as kind of where they are starting from and i also felt that their some of their fundamentals particularly that field goal percentage at the rim was something that was a a little bit fluky and uh, you know this might just be because i'm sure plenty of people are like oh you know you had him i think i picked him for like 43 wins last year and oh you were way too low on him last year and that might be true i mean i maybe just be going back to my same old assumptions uh, from last year uh which are outdated but i think you know it's a pretty similar team to last year we when we talked about okay what are the best how do they get to their best case how do they get to their worst case i did feel like there are a few more variables that might lead them to regress and so especially with the young guys that they're relying on they do have a history of that but you know they also are playing a lot of young guys this also isn't a team with a lot of flexibility you don't see them making like a big upgrade at the deadline or something like that so you know i don't think that's a major component here either way i'm going to go with 44 wins for this group uh and just with the they also you know damon cj are always really healthy i mean the, those guys could get hurt you know maybe not massively i don't like to include that in the predictions but you know it, it could go a little bit worse uh, for them so I, that's why i'm going with 44 wins but i acknowledge i mean i could see them getting as high as like 53 or i could see them kind of out of the playoffs it just I, I, there's just a little bit too much here 
that's unproven to me and just not quite enough dynamism on the wing and then also the fact that the league continues to trend away from you know the non-switching the dropping the big and pick and roll coverage you know there are ever more stretch bigs every year and i think i i could see i guess i'll put it this way i could see their defense regressing more easily than i can see their offense improving that might be the best way to put why i see a slight regression yeah no that's uh, totally fair and i think that there's a lot of there's just a lot of unknowns and they they've gotten away with it in years past and they've they've done it but these are new guys and so you know not every it's not a template so you know you have to wait and see for a lot of these guys so i i definitely understand the skepticism i i I do think that they i think dame and cj are you know i think are still good enough to really you know barring health you know i I think they're still going to be good for mid 40s you know together yeah um so um this is hilarious they're going to be competitive so last year you were exactly four more than me as well you were at 47 and i was at 43 so we've both both increased by one uh nice this year and then last year let's see do i have last year oh this is this is absolutely hilarious two years ago you were at 50 and i was at 46 <laughs> oh my god we really are just a, we're just a, we have a multiple four we have a four a four thing happening yeah, so you, I don't, you yeah, are yeah. exactly four wins more optimistic than i am uh yeah every, every year. year and so for the record i was <laughs> i was closer in 2017 what did they win in 2017 they won like 43 or something right there 43 or something yeah. like that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So i was closer in 2017 and you were, you were obviously closer last year so we'll see this is this is why i write all this down though so we can have like one amusing observation uh per podcast uh all right so best case what do you see it as a your uh, kind of high 50s area you want to put a number on it uh best case i'll say 54 54 all right and uh yeah i i actually would go there too i i think it's it's possible these young guys could just develop uh and what about as a worst case scenario um worst case uh 38 yep i'm right there with you too so i think we're just kind of yeah i'm lower in the band than you are but uh you know i think we're conceptualizing this team largely the same way even if we're you know four wins uh, apart uh as we have been since uh since time immemorial uh all right man uh so thanks a lot uh for coming on uh what are you up to these days where can people follow you uh and uh, keep up with your work both blazers and oh, otherwise yeah um well i'm editing uh the lebron wire for usa today um you can follow me at eric erik underscore gunderson that's gunderson with an en not an on uh and you can also follow lebron wire it's at lebron underscore wire pretty simple um i just had a thing a q a with channing fry a couple days ago uh so uh, i thought that was pretty cool he said some cool stuff about the lakers um and locked on blazers podcast uh follow that on itunes and wherever you get podcasts uh for blazers stuff so that's where I'm, I'm doing a lot of my blazer stuff yeah absolutely we'll uh we'll have to do uh a show there too after a blazers game sometime so uh thanks so much to eric and uh i have no idea since we're recording these early since i'm gonna be on my honeymoon whether this is going to begin or end an episode so i'm just going to say okay. goodbye right now with the caveat that maybe All there right. will be another segment after this i really don't know <laughs> <laughs> All right, talk to y'all later. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. 
It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.